Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. The sound is insane. And it's, the movie starts off with the familiar Top Gun anthem and breaks into Danger Zone. You've got all the, the, the music is terrific. The sound is booming to death. You, you are going 4G or 5G or whatever the hell they're going. And uh, you, you, you can feel it and see it and blockbuster 100% all the way. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. So that was our friend Peter Freeman of DC Outlook. I call him the angry critic, but he's all in for Top Gun Maverick. So that's what we talked about last time. This time, I'm still Arch Campbell, and we are here with another edition of the podcast that keeps you up on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz is back in the control room that I headquarters <laughs> after a jaunt to Key West. That's right. Did you give my regards to Ernest Hemingway? Did the Hemingway tour? Stood at the southern southernmost port, you know, point where they have the barrel there. So you did all the tourist stuff. It was fun. It was great. Wow. Except for the bad weather and then the tropical storm that, that we had to chase. So it was great. I, you know, I think if you read about Hemingway, uh, he had some of the same trouble with storms and stuff. Yeah. Wiped them out. Well, anyway, my guests today are two of the smartest voices in entertainment uh, from Vulture and New York Magazine and the new podcast, Basic. Please meet Jim Cheney. Yeah. Welcome Hello. her back. Thank you. And with her is Rocky Haddadi, both of Vulture and New York Magazine. Yeah. And Jen and Rocky, so good to see you both. Jen, what are you watching? Oh, you had to start with a hard question. Um, <laughs> well, uh, last night I saw the new Jurassic World movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, ask me about it in two weeks and I won't be able to tell you a thing. <laughs> but uh, I did enjoy Laura Dern and, and Jeff Goldblum and sort of that old group kind of coming back. Um, but it's, you know, it's a Jurassic Park slash world movie. There's a lot of running from dinosaurs. I know that's how shocking many, to hear. How many Jurassic Parks are there now? This it's is five? this one. Yeah, th this was considered the end of the Jurassic World trilogy. Uh, I don't know if there will be another trilogy, but I would bet good money there probably will well but you know um i am hearing about jurassic what do they call it now jurassic world uh, jurassic world jurassic mm -hmm. world here we go again what's what's this sequel called it's technically Whatever. called jurassic world dominion but i call it jurassic world laura dern <laughs> but i'm hearing about it people are talking about it. i ran into somebody she said oh i can't wait to go see jurassic is it because it's uh, familiar and comforting in its way? I mean, that's... I guess. <laughs> I mean, I do think there are some people that have like a real um, sense of nostalgia around the first Jurassic Park movie. Um, I don't know that there's that much like affection for the Jurassic World movies. I, it may just be people are like, again, back in blockbuster mode and excited to go to a theater and see something that kind of demands to be seen on a big screen. And those movies certainly are that. Well, you know, since you brought up uh, the Jurassic Park sequel, uh, we may as well get into Top Gun Maverick, which uh, struck me as the first movie I'd heard in conversation in about three years. People are mm. talking about it. And I yeah. went to see it. I tiptoed into the Montgomery Mall 
uh, AMC. Which I haven't been to yet. How how is it now that it's not an arc light? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, arc light light. <laughs> R.I.P. Arclight. That theater was yeah, so beautiful. I know. It's not, it's more of an AMC. In fact, uh, I laughed out loud. AMC now has a pre-trailer where um, Nicole Kidman is in this beautiful gown walking into an AMC multiplex. Arch, Looking the at movies, the... they bring us together. Yeah. Have you seen that, Rocky? Yes, yes, it's been much, yes. of, much of the talk of the internet for several months yes. now. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care, because we need that, all of us. The Nicole Kidman ad, people love it. I feel like the Nicole Kidman ad is what brought people back into theaters. They're like, you know what? We need to see this. This is important. She hasn't been in a movie theater in about 20 years, do you think? Other than to watch something she was in at a premiere and then leave. I think that's fair, (laughs) but I also wonder if there are any movie stars who actually go to the movies, right? I mean, doesn't Tom Cruise supposedly do it and like sneak in the back or something? I hope he does. It would add so much of the Tom Cruise mystique if that were the case. And what are your thoughts on Top Gun Maverick? Both of you, let's just dive in on this. What what did you think? I want Jen to go first. Oh, we no. we I mean, here's the thing. We did sit next to each other while watching. <laughs> we did. So that was that was poor very Rocky. important. No, oh. come on, Jen. It was poor Jen. So I made a lot of like, ooh. Uh. <laughs> well, normally I would think it was very lazy to start a film identical to the way you started the previous film this is an exception to that as as rocky can attest from my reaction in my seat when i heard the top gun theme by harold uh faltermeyer start playing and i was like yes this is what i wanted you to do i mean it's a very satisfying movie experience like it's very entertaining It, it it hits all the notes that i think you would want it to hit i mean and i think it is like affecting people in a way they weren't expecting a friend of mine texted me and was like should i go see the top gun movie and i said yeah i think you should so he went that afternoon and he texted me back and he's like that was amazing and i cried <laughs> oh. <laughs> i mean i think that like to arch's point of this is the movie that it finally seems like people are talking about it felt like all of us were yearning to a certain degree about something like collective to bind us all together that wasn't just a pandemic. And for all intents and purposes, this movie somehow pulls that off. I mean, it's about theoretically things all of us can relate to, like getting older and like feeling like you should have taken more risks in your life personally, rather than in terms of like saving the world, which Tom Cruise does all the time. And Jen wrote a piece about how Maverick is basically like all the Tom Cruise movies rolled into one. So I also think it's very smart about how it like uses his mystique and his on-screen refusal to die to very like satisfying effects. The one thing that I will say is that it is very funny to me that they keep refusing to name an enemy because there is sort of i mean like uh, yeah i yeah. this is probably just my own bias but in watching it i was like this is 100 percent iran like this is obviously iran 
And then the ringer put out this very detailed piece <laughs> yesterday about how it absolutely is Iran based on the terrain and the planes involved. So I mean, like, but they I never to, say the name. They never say the name. So Nor I did they ever say Russia in the first one. No, I contractually have to be like, this is propaganda, but it was propaganda I enjoyed watching. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. My husband asked me, who's the enemy in this movie? And I said, anyone who stands in Tom Cruise's way. Yeah. That's really the yes. answer. That's really the answer. Yes. I mean, that's like the John Hamm function. Right. That's like the young pilot function. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think it's still very good. I do feel, you know, I do feel like it'll be the movie of the summer. Like, I think people want to see Jurassic World, but to Jen's point, I can't see it being memorable in the same way. Yeah. I think people still want that sort of, like, movie stars are out there doing things, feeling, rather than Chris Pratt is running from, like, a bunch of CGI raptors or whatever he does in that movie. So, right. Yeah. I found myself, I laughed out loud several times watching uh, Top Gun Maverick because it's this uh, glorious string of cliches. Of course. Oh, yeah. that Maverick, he's wrecked our plane. Get off of my base. Oh, but wait a minute. We need you to do this teaching. Don't give me that look. Well, it's the only look I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean on, the on script yeah the script is sort of rough but i think once you like tune into the level that it's doing all of this sort of tongue-in-cheek it clicks together a little bit more like i think it's very self-aware of the fact that it's doing that mm -hmm. um yeah rather than like attempting to be very like deep you know well i th i thought it came off as comfort food oh, you know yeah. it's comforting mm -hmm. it's familiar mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, here's my little thought that I want to run by you two. I thought of the movie Wings during mm. the entire, which is almost 100 years old. A few years back, I got a DVD of Wings, the first Academy Award uh, winner. And uh, it's the guy learning to fly the plane so he can go to France. But, you know, the only thing uh, Maverick didn't have was the Red Baron. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's a familiar plot. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Weirdly, I was reminded more of the first Top Gun while I was watching it. But, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> you know what, though? I will say that it feels like a sequel that cannot beget another sequel. Uh -huh. And I sort of Good. respect mm -hmm. that. Because yeah. I am tired of these movies, again, not, you know what, I don't feel bad saying Jurassic World is terrible. It is like Jurassic World, where it's just like, God, you could keep doing this forever, and nothing fundamentally changes, nor do these movies say anything about, like, where we are in this moment in mm -hmm. time. And I think Maverick, for all of its cliches, does attempt to say things about, like, getting older and finding a family and all mm -hmm. that sort of feel good well the stuff. val kilmer uh piece yeah. was uh actually very uh you know effective mm -hmm. yeah very yeah, poignant and good i do yeah. wonder uh, if they'll try to make another one just because this one has been so successful i really hope they don't yeah i, I really hope they don't well, <laughs> i don't know if i can give them that much credit <laughs> and and it, it one thing I thought when I left is, uh, well, there goes the middle sort of, oh, it was okay, two-star movie. 
this is it. This is our future at uh, theaters, Jurassic World and Top Gun Maverick. This is this is where we're going, which is and you all have been saying this for uh, years. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think the blockbuster is just where we've been for like a decade at this point. I mean, I think it's shaped by the superhero movies and franchises in general. So it's like Top Gun sort of stands outside of that because everything about it feels very physical and tangible and real. But that sense of like the event movie being the only thing that takes you to the theaters has been around for a long time. Um, but I also think that's why something like Everything Everywhere All at Once is such a nice like counter programming for that because that's been in theaters now for months and it's been very successful based on word of mouth. So I think it's more like those are the two extremes, right? It's like the blockbuster right. is most of it, the Disney movie is most of it, and then there are those like smaller usually boutique studio movies mm -hmm. like a24 movies that do have like a groundswell of support but that's why there's so much tv arch that's why we're yeah. drowning in tv <laughs> you're right tv is like forming that middle space uh and there's too much of it i think i speak for jen when i say that too jen isn't there too much yes i i retweet that with an endorsement yeah absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. uh rocky uh what are you watching too much but uh <laughs> i am watching a lot what i have liked lately uh even though we just talked about like the evils of marvel blockbusters is i have really liked miss marvel uh that is on disney plus and it mm -hmm. is an adaptation of the comic book character who was marvel's first like muslim character to headline their own comic book series it's not really the brown girls from jersey city you save the world. That's a fantasy too. Do you even know what you are? I'm a superhero. That is very cute. And what I really like about it is that it feels sort of like a spin on the Bend It Like Beckham formula, the sort of like coming of age story that is very like culturally influenced. I've really liked that. And it feels like a Marvel story for tweens and teens rather than like for adults. So I've really liked that. I'm trying to think amid all the millions of other things that I've watched. And I recently uh, finished Under the Banner of Heaven, which was the miniseries adaptation of John Krakauer's nonfiction book about a couple of murders that occurred uh, within like the Mormon community. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. An evil presence is in his family. What if this case isn't just a husband who turned against his wife? It starred Andrew Garfield and Gil Birmingham and sort of did like a little bit of a twist on the true crime genre and how much incorporated a sort of like religious uh, questioning. So I really liked that. That was on FX on well, Hulu. Um, FX Hulu. Mm -hmm. okay, but yeah, I mean, there's cool. far, far too much TV. So I will punt to Jen to learn what Jen has been watching. Well, I've been working on a piece this week that has required me to go back and watch old episodes of television. So I've been a little bit behind, but uh, I'm loving this season of Barry. I think it's just oh. exceptional. Um, Henry Winkler is chased by dogs. I, I literally two. almost two, two was brilliant. And then the way two ended with that kid's music I, I was falling off my couch. It was, I, they did something in a half hour that uh, 
uh, was just beyond great. Yeah. I mean, that show has always straddled genres, but it's doing, mm-hmm. you know, even more so than usual. It's doing satire of Hollywood this season and it's doing, you know, an action thriller. Uh, I mean, it's doing multiple things and it's doing them all really, really well and meshing them together in a way that doesn't feel inorganic, that feels like it's all supposed to be this way. And the, uh, the network executive who uses uh, an app, a uh, an algorithm <laughs> to decide whether people will watch shows or not. Yeah. I mean, that's very, that's, that feels that's... very true to experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the, but now, conversely, in the first episode, when the executive is like talking about the episode that Sally's supposed to be in, and then she's uh, finally like, "Oh wait, that's a different show." I'm like, "That's me, that's me like every day." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I was watching episode six, which was also brilliant and included a shootout on the freeway in a traffic jam, with some of the most amazing. Uh, camera work I've ever mm-hmm. seen, but uh, th- they dropped it the week after the Uvalde shootings. So I was torn the entire time. Uh, what do you two think? Gosh, I mean, I watched it before that, so I didn't have that framework in my head. Not that school shootings and other kinds of shootings weren't going on, but that mm-hmm. my brain wasn't quite in that same space. So I did not think about that. I just thought it was extraordinarily executed. In terms of yeah. how, like you said, the camera work and just the visceral like immediacy of the way they shot all of that. This is like very cynical, but Stranger Things, I, I caught up to this season of Stranger Things late. And apparently, well, not apparently, I watched it. They did go back and they added like an intertitle before the premiere episode that was like the storyline was crafted before the Uvalde shooting because it opens oh. with sort of like a massacre in an orphanage. But this is horrible. But to there are unfortunately mass shootings in this country every day sometimes like 10 of them a day so it's horrible but like i think it's one of those things where seeing it on tv at a certain point it just feels like this is where we are in this country right now and so i think i've just compartmentalized seeing it on tv and knowing it happens in real life like they don't seem to exist outside of each other anymore. I think they're just happening all the time. So it's horrible to watch. But at a certain point, I just am sort of, I don't know, I guess numb to it a little bit. I had the same well, experience with Stranger Things where I didn't, I didn't, I watched it before Uvalde yeah. wasn't in my head, but I could see in retrospect why people felt that way. I yeah. felt that way when I watched Obi-Wan, the first episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, because yes. there's a similar kind of moment where it's young children and, it, and an instructor and violence enters into the picture. But that was right after Uvalde happened. So it's like, it all depends on where you are in your mind. But mm-hmm. I do think you're right. We've, we've compartmentalized to a large degree so that unless something has just happened within 24 hours, we don't necessarily think about the two things kind of relating to each other. Yeah. I am holding my breath for the finale of Barry, which I mm-hmm. think is uh, this Sunday night. So uh, I can't imagine where <laughs> where can they go next. But I understand right. their their mission is to go somewhere new. Right. Well, Bill Hader said in an interview this week that um, this this episode is really dark, and I was like, oh, what were the other ones? Were those just light hair? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I feel like uh, I would not be surprised if they kill off Barry. Uh-huh. I could see that at the end of. I the feel like that's something the show would do. It has one more season. 
to have yeah. a whole last season of a show called Barry where Barry is not in it. I, I totally think they were. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's sort of the willingness to do that is established within a bunch of other shows, right? I mean, I think of something like The Wire. Like, they incrementally killed off people and the show kept going because they were doing more than just focusing on certain characters. So I could totally see that happening. And then season four is about all the fallout of that and uncovering what he did or did not do. I could see that. Yeah, and is that a thing? I mean, you know, they started killing off people in uh, Ozark. And uh, Better Call Saul just got a lot of attention because uh, a major character was suddenly uh, rubbed out. Mm -hmm. So is that a thing? Well, it's been a thing. It's been a thing, yeah. I mean, I think The Wire made it a thing. Game of Thrones, Lost made it a thing, 100%. Lost made it a thing. Game of Thrones, the end of season one, when they kill off Sean Bean, and that's like a major thing, right? So I think it's, it's... that's just sort of incorporated now. There's a willingness to end certain arcs before you might expect them to. Ozark did so not I, invent that. Contrary to what some people on the internet said after the Better Call Saul episode, where they're like, they stole that from Ozark. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> it's always a dude, Jen. It's I'm always not, a I, dude. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's always a dude. Well, they, yeah. they resonate. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I, I think it's just like, I think it's just been a component of, tv drama for a long time and to jen's point it's been on like regular tv like lost and on cable i just think now i think because we're more willing to like binge things i think the initial shock of it is sort of louder yeah. mm. um but i i don't think it's necessarily that surprising i could see them killing off barry and then like them making a tv show about barry and that's the end of the series oh <laughs> Wow. You know, I I kept thinking the plots of Better Call Saul and Ozark were, uh, you know, similar tracking. In fact, sometimes I would get the two uh, confused because Mm -hmm. they were so uh, alike. I mean, I think one's really good and the other one's better than the other. I know what you <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Do you feel better now? A little bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, Arch, yes. I know you hate Ozark. I don't yeah. hate it. That's not true. No, I hate it. I'll say that. I hate it. I hate I, it. I, Sorry, Arch. It, it frustrates me. And I think the the level of uh, fervor around it is completely disproportionate to how good the show was. Uh, is now, I may have asked you this before. Is it a gender thing, you know, because I love Ozark, as you know. I is, think it is. Is, it, is it more of a guy show? No. I don't necessarily think that. I think it's just, I think that Netflix did a very smart job marketing it. So I think it just became the show that people were watching that they thought was like an important show. Not you, Arch, other people. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking Thank about you. you. Yeah, we're talking about other amorphous people. Um, You're so kind. Well, and I think something else that's interesting that we haven't talked about is I think, like, the industry and his peers, like, love Bateman. So it won, Mm. like, a bunch Mm. of awards that I did Mm. not anticipate it to win. Yeah. So then I think it sort of got, like, a level of prestige that the show itself did not deserve. But the show completely believed it. The show... I think self-identified as a prestige show from the beginning. Yes. Like yes. that was what, that's what bothered me about it. It was like, yes. we're telling an important story. You just got that vibe the whole time. And I'm like, right. you got to earn that before you start yeah. putting on those clothes. 
Right. Um, I've watched a lot, a lot of, people... of shows about drug kingpins and like right. you're not doing anything that you yeah. yeah. But I think a lot of people like felt like it was prestige and like it kind of convinced them that it was. <laughs> If that makes yeah. any sense. It's very interesting to me to watch like the different reactions to something like Narcos versus Ozark. Because theoretically they are about very similar things. Like they're both about like drug cartel, violence, that sort of like tension between being investigated and trying to invade evade your investigators. But like nobody talks about narcos, right? Which is also like very well made. Uh we just got onto the Ozark train. So Arch, I'm not saying you're part of the problem. But but she's thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> are you watching anything else, Arsh? What are you watching? Uh, I watched Candy on Hulu oh. and How'd got you feel about that? Uh, got uh, hooked for a while. And mm-hmm. when it concluded, I decided that I was offended. <laughs> that it actually offended me. No, I like that because I did not care for it. So I'm curious why it offended you. I did not like the flippant attitude they took toward the case and toward, and oh, and this guy ran for governor and oh, and now she's a mental health, you know, and it's, and, and, and oh, and I, I did not like it. I hated it. Mm-hmm. I uh, think first, fair. I loved it. And then I yeah. hated it. Yeah. So did you hate it because of like, the final like intertitle and like how they treated the last few seconds or was there another point where you turned because i turned when they recreated the murder scene i hated it after that point on you mean the actual recreation yeah. or the police uh going through the most no like the actual recreation oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah gina yeah, yeah. my wife left the room she said yeah. okay i'm done I'm not yeah. going to watch this. It was a lot gorier uh, than I anticipated. It was, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, well, repulsive. Yeah. 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 It was exploitive. Yeah. And uh, I didn't feel like, what really surprised me was it felt like they took Candy's explanation as what actually happened. Hmm. And I was surprised by that. Like, I was surprised that there wasn't more of a doubt about her version of events. And then it came out afterward. And I guess a lot of true crime series do this. So maybe it isn't super surprising, but it came out afterward that they hadn't like talked to any family members of uh. Betty or like any survivors or anything. So like I thought Melanie Linsky's performance was really good. And I even thought like Beale was pretty good, but I yeah. just, it did not leave a they... great message afterward. Something terrible has happened. It's Betty. She's dead. Oh, Lord, Candy, did you hear? Such a travesty would happen to her. I, I'm curious. I, I lived in Dallas, you know, and, and I, I knew people in the mm-hmm. suburbs in Dallas, and I thought they really got the look and mm-hmm. the overbite and the hair and the attitude. They, they got some things right. I... Uh, early on, I thought they were stretching that stuff really thin. I, mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been four episodes. They didn't have four episodes worth Five. of material. Five, Five yeah, felt like 50 to me. Yeah. So Jen, I hated what did you that. Think? What were you going to say, Jen? I still haven't watched Candy, but I, I was curious. Um, I know Rocky's watched The Staircase. I don't know if you've watched the the scripted version of The Staircase, but I was just wondering if you felt the same way about recreating the death scenes in that as you did about Candy. 
that a question uh, for me or for Arch? For anybody. I'm just curious. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know Arch, if Arch has seen it. I, it's on my wish list. Okay. So uh, I mean, you know, go ahead. Please. Well, all I was going to say is that I sort of wrote about this for Vulture in that uh so arch what the staircase does is that in the dramatization mm -hmm. they basically recreate many of the theories about what could have happened to kathleen peterson right so, like each episode has a different recreation so like there is a recreation where she just is like uh sort of drunk or woozy or whatever and like falls of her own volition yeah. there is a recreation where the popular owl theory where the owl attacks her and I think what that does differently is that because you get so many different recreated versions, it's sort of up to you to decide which one seems more valid or which one seems more believable. It sort of forces you to make a decision rather than what Candy does, which is it just gives you one recreation that aligns with what Candy said happened. So we don't ever get a sense of what happened in that room that isn't outside of her explanation. So like Melanie Linsky gives this great performance as Betty Gore, the woman who gets murdered, but you never get a real sense of what could have happened to her outside of Candy explaining, like, she told me to shush and that I went into a blind rage and murdered her. So it's like, there isn't that sort of doubt that I think the staircase cultivates very well. I've just been uh, uh, avoiding the staircase. I've started mm -hmm. to go there and just, you know, I just, uh, I didn't do it. I tried a, a episode of The Outlaws last night with Christopher Walken, the British thing. Have you heard about that? Oh, I haven't even heard about this. It's uh, eight characters. It's on Amazon Prime. Eight characters okay. are uh, doing community service. You will repay your debt to society by working the number of hours mandated by the court. Why were you in prison? It was a misunderstanding. Grandpa misunderstood that you can't force signatures on checks. Mm. And Christopher Walken is an old uh, con man and uh, they get involved in a criminal activity, and it's how, it, and I, it goes from there. Uh, it's it's okay. I took a look at Slow Horses. Mm. Oh, right, on Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Arch, have yeah. you watched anything you've liked lately? <laughs> uh, hacks, hacks, oh, okay. although, okay. you know, they didn't kill a character, they just fired her. <laughs> That's funny. So you are on the Hacks defense team. Is that what you're telling I, me? I'm a Hacks fan. I know. I bombed my show. On this tour, it's all about back to basics. And we need a really good tour manager. I got drunk and sent a very stupid email. I said some pretty revealing stuff. She will kill you if she finds out. I'm not so sure this tour is a good idea. I thought you don't read reviews because you don't care. I don't read reviews because I do care. The second season, not as good as the first, but still, you know, we'll see. Okay. So speaking of we'll see, let me remind everybody that this podcast comes on Hound Radio and Lou Katz in the control room back from Key West, now driving his electric car around Bethesda, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> enabling us. Now, Jen, you have what, two dogs, right? I do, yeah. Do you worry about how they're doing in the hot, hot summer weather sometime? I do sometimes, Lou. Well, Thank you for asking. Well, listen to this special World of Dogs update. It might help you out. Hound Radio's leash-leading canine expert, Faith Lapidus, is back with another look into the wonderful world of dogs. 
Ready or not, summer is here with temperatures into the 90s. That's hot for us and can be downright dangerous for your dog, especially if he's got a thick coat or is a pug or another flat-faced breed. But there are some easy ways to keep your pup cool. Limit the length of your walks in hot weather. Try to head out in the early morning or late in the evening. But watch out for hot pavement. If it's too hot for your hand, it's too hot for your dog's paws. If your dog likes splashing in water, put out a baby pool in the yard and make sure there's plenty of shade to rest in. But keep your dog inside as much as possible with interactive toys or attention from you to keep him from getting bored. And make sure he always has access to fresh water. It's easy for dogs to become dehydrated on hot days. So stay cool and stay safe. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. Uh, let's see. Anything else we should... Uh talk about uh can we mention I mean, we Ray Liotta? things but we didn't really talk about it but... oh, oh 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 well we got time stranger things i'm Where okay is with that? either that or ray i mean jen wrote a really good piece about how like summer isn't necessarily the time of the blockbuster movie anymore and that stranger mm-hmm. things has been a part of reshaping that so i would be interested in hearing her talk about that <laughs> i would too because i don't know what i would say Jen, you wrote the piece. I know, but as soon as it's done, I forget what I said. <laughs> I would talk about that, or I would talk about Ray Liotta, whichever is fine. Oh, yeah, right, right. Well, uh, how sad I feel for Ray Liotta and how grateful I am for Goodfellas and uh, Field of Dreams. If you build it, he will come. I interviewed him a couple of times, and, uh, you know, he was kind of a shy... Seems like I interviewed him at the beginning of his career, just when mm-hmm. he was getting started. And it was, you kind of knew that something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Jen, rocking. I mean, yeah. I really, sorry, I'll just say something quick. I really liked how eventually in his career, he was like pushing up against what he was typecast as. Mm-hmm. So I always advocate watching Killing Them Softly, but I think he has a really great role in that as a sort of bookie who uh, people assume is doing something that he wouldn't have done. So I think there's a lot of shades of like regret and misunderstanding of that performance. That's very good. Yeah, I just think Goodfellas cast a long shadow over his career in a good way, mm-hmm. to your point, that at this later point in his career, he was kind of taking roles that were commenting on that. I would, I would say Many Saints of Newark. He was very good mm-hmm. in that. And that was mm-hmm. also kind of bringing him back to that um, kind of mafia type of storytelling. But I know this is heresy to probably both of you, but I I think Goodfellas is the best mafia movie ever made. I think it's better than The Godfathers for me. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops. We paid off lawyers. We paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. Here's the thing. (laughs) I saw Goodfellas before I saw either of The Godfathers. Okay, oh. sure. And it was also the first Martin Scorsese movie I ever saw. So it was okay. really like especially mind-blowing for me. So but what anyway. you're telling me is this is your personal opinion that no one else should listen to. That's is not that... true. There, there is a, a, a small but mighty group of advocates that, that will say Goodfellas is better than The Godfather. Now, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it, it does, again, in that Scorsese way, like I think you could theoretically watch The Godfather and think that like, this time and this family structure and like the American dream are still being romanticized in a certain way. Whereas Goodfellas really emphasizes the fact that like all of this 
was like doomed from the it's start. It's timeless. Yeah, I happened so I to hear an interview on Fresh yes, Air yes, with Arch. Ray Liotta. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about meeting the real guy uh, mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. living in L.A. And uh, during the meeting, the guy had seen the film and he said, thank you for not making me look like a scumbag. And Leota <laughs> said, well, actually, you are. <laughs> He's thinking this. You really are a terrible person. You read it on your friends. And Leota said he would run into him around Santa Monica and Venice and oh, wow. that uh, the guy was always high and just, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, a terrible. And it was a wonderful interview uh, on Fresh Air. You probably catch it on uh, NPR. Mm-hmm. Jen, I want to plug your uh, podcast called Basic. I just listened to the episode with Jimmy Kimmel talking about the creation of the man show and some of and uh the, when ben stein's money and it's it's a delightful uh dive into creativity thanks yeah um this is something i'm doing with doug herzog who is a former uh, tv executive he worked at mtv in the early days he was in charge of comedy central he was in, in fact the person who paid dave Chappelle millions of dollars that dave mm-hmm. Chappelle walked away mm-hmm. from um <laughs> so uh Thanks to Doug's connections, we're able to get some really good guests. So we've had Tim Gunn, who was great. We've had Fab Five Freddy. It's, it's all conversations about, you know, big moments in cable TV history. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of those. So that's my recommendation for the weekend. We're running out of time very quickly. <laughs> Recommendations? Rocky? Um, uh, I would, I, sure. I'm going to recommend Miss Marvel on Disney+. Plus. It's cute. It's okay. Fun. And Jen Cheney of Vulture. I'm going to recommend um, Evil on the Paramount Plus Network. It comes back for season three, and I just absolutely love this weird, funny, dark show. Oh, love it. I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. Jen Cheney, Rocky Gadotti. It's always so much fun to talk with you. Thanks for doing this today. I'm Arch Campbell. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Lou Katz, thank you. This is the Katz Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.